From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about how to talk to your kids about finances. How early do you start them? How do you make it palatable for them to not only understand, but to actually be interested in? Michael and Adam both discuss their personal conversations they have with their kids, an interesting insight to hear what a financial advisor might tell their own kids about finances and budgeting for the future. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. And just as we say, all of our links to all studies and everything referenced are put into the show notes at assetbuilder.com slash podcast. And there you can find links to contact Michael and Adam personally if you have questions about anything discussed on the podcast. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get to the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are y'all doing today? How's uh, how's life? How's life, Adam? Life is fantastic. How are you guys? I'm doing great. I'm enjoying the weather. How? How? I enjoy, I enjoy heat. I just, I love it when it's... Do you I enjoy the surface a, of the sun, too? I do. I enjoy <laughs> it when it's 100 plus and you're sweating in the oh. office. That's just amazing. Ugh. Couldn't be more different from me, but I'm glad you're happy. That's all that matters. That's all that matters is that you're happy, Michael. I'm glad you feel that way. So today we're talking about teaching your kids about finance, um, teaching them at, and specifically investing um, and what sort of values and what sort of uh, things they can learn. And this is stemmed from Michael because Michael's recently got how old as well? Just turned 13. So Michael's just recently turned got 13. just turned 13. So Michael just recently um, or right, I don't know how recently actually that either, but, um, you've been teaching Will about finance and 13 is definitely a lot younger than I learned. So, yeah, it, it, you know what? I think we started talking about this because of quarantine. Um, because when we would be talking, uh, he was, you know, uh, schooled now from home. Uh, his desk became part of my office. I mean, it's right behind me. Um, and so uh, we, we would be on video calls, and I think you would say, you'd ask, what's Will doing? And, of course, Will was you know, on his computer, but a couple of times he would be looking at uh, option chains because he had gotten interested in different stocks that I would talk about. So and, he, was already, he already expressed interest a little bit before that. Or yeah, decided I, I think okay. I think he was interested in 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 what makes a company more valuable than another company. I mean, he was a lot, you know, of that. And then, how do you make money? And well, what does Dad do? And uh, so it just kind of became this uh, conversation. But I think uh, I I asked him earlier, asked him yesterday, um, what was the first thing you ever remember me telling you about money? And uh, he he was telling me things, and I was like, "Huh, I don't remember ever saying that." Um, but you know, with stuff like debt, um, mm -hmm. hey, you don't have enough money to buy that. I'll lend you the money, but you're going to have to pay me back more than what you borrow. He remembers thinking that was really not fair, and I was uh, taking advantage of a kid. And uh, I, you know, we've we've gone through the fact that the the person who has the money, who's lending it, uh, tends to be in the position of power, and uh, you as the borrower 
uh, don't have as much power. And so thinking carefully about what you'd be willing to borrow money to accomplish. So uh, we've had a lot of those conversations over the years. And, you know, as he gets older, they, they've progressed different kinds of conversations for sure. So he started at, you know, I guess 13 or 12. But how long, how young do you think you can start a kid in with these kinds of conversations? Because they, like me, I would never listen to that. I would be bored immediately. Sure. Well, it, it's funny. There's a an article that was written by. Um, it, it didn't have any really um, studies attached to it. But Beth Koblinger is a is a journalist, is an author, and um, the links are going to be below, uh, so you can you can read this article, do with it what you will. Notes. But yeah, in the show notes, and and she says that um, by the age of three, kids have a basic grasp of money concepts, value, et cetera. And by age seven, many of their money habits are already set. And I thought that was really interesting because at the age of three, um, I would be thinking, you know, as I'm thinking back, I'm thinking, I don't remember my kids actually having a grasp of anything, but I do remember at the age of three, they wanted things. And I had this desire to give them anything they wanted. And so there's probably, you know, like, mm -hmm. like a lot of parents, I would think, oh, that's only five bucks. That's only three bucks. That's only. And so uh, the here, let me get you what you want uh, was, was really easy to take care of. I mean, it's easy to take care of the desires of a three-year-old. Um, the funny thing is you can buy a three-year-old a toy. And by the time you get home, that toy is no longer interesting to them. And you realize you've kind of taught them the wrong thing. Like, yes, you can have whatever you want. And because it was so easy come, it can just as easily get thrown away. So uh, the, the, the funny thing is she also makes the, the point that you should not just say, well, since I didn't do it by the age of seven, I'm done. So, uh, right. you know, all hope is not lost. If you haven't uh, started talking about money by the age of seven, um, we know that habits can be learned, different rhythms can be adopted um, as late as the age of 70. So you can talk to your adult kids or grandkids about money and have an expectation that over time they can develop different habits that are good habits, uh, even if you've never had the conversation with them until they're in their 30s or 40s. Now, Adam, your eldest is five. Is that correct? That's right. I have two girls that are they're twins. They're both five, obviously. Um, and then I have a younger daughter who's approaching three. So, so their ballpark. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a different perspective, I guess, that Michael's talking about now. Uh, not that he doesn't have my perspective, just I lack his because I haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, but I can definitely relate to, you know, this idea of just wanting to give the kid everything when they're, you know, two, three. And to Michael's point, it is really easy to do that. But as I've gotten older, you know, my wife and I have both kind of noticed um, there's kind of this expectancy. Um, you know, I, I hate to call it entitlement, uh, but it's just this, you know, maybe like a year ago, they start understanding, you know, okay, I have a birthday every year. Okay. I understand that my birthday is kind of, it's when it's cold outside. They were born in December. Right. So they start thinking about this. And so it was like every other day, you know, Hey, can I have this for my birthday? Okay, sure. 
two days later, hey, whenever it's my birthday, I want this thing. Well, two days ago, you asked for something else. And so we've started to kind of have these conceptual conversations with them. Obviously, when it comes to investing, I mean, Jared, you said it, they're not going to be interested in talking to dad about investing. So what we're trying to focus on with them is just this concept of, hey, there's a trade for everything, right? There's a trade-off for anything. So money doesn't just appear, right? And we've kind of couched it in this concept of like, they know that daddy goes to work every day. They know that a few days a week, mommy goes to work. So when you guys go to work, where are you going and why are you going there? Why are you working? And so there's obviously for us, there's faith-based reasons for that, but just mm-hmm. you know, practically speaking, um, we go to work so that we can earn money. And so what does that mean? What does that mean to have money? Well, it means we can buy things, but for them, it's more about focusing on just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? And so instilling in them this concept of, and so for them, what that looks like is every night before they go to bed, they have to clean up their their toys, right? Like they have to put all their toys back where they belong just so that they understand if I want to play with this toy, I'm eventually going to have to put it back. So there's this cause and effect. Same thing Mike was talking about with borrowing. If I borrow this money, eventually I'm going to have to pay it back. Is that trade-off worth it? So we're just kind of on the, we're in the early phases of having that conversation, but it's interesting, you know, five-year-olds ability to look ahead is really poor. (laughs) That's essentially what Mm. I'm learning. They're not very good at thinking, you know, six months ahead. Um, they want whatever they want right now. And so that's where we're, I hate, I'm not going to use the word struggling, but that's kind of where we're at. We're trying to grow that muscle for them of being able to think ahead of just, hey, what do you want right now? What can we do with this right now? Um, you know, and, it's, and we're going to get to this a little bit later talking about values surrounding money. But I tried... And I have to admit, I failed, um, but I tried this past Christmas to come to an agreement with them that when you get a new toy, then what we're going to do is find an old toy that you don't play with anymore, that you don't you know, like as much as the new toy, and we're going to donate it. And we're going to actually go to a place where you can donate it and just start to understand that concept of you know, it's not just about me. It's not about what stuff I can get and how I can get it because they're starting to kind of slowly understand that the newness wears off pretty quickly. And so it it is an interesting time. But when Michael was talking, actually what was going on in my mind, because Jared, what you said was interesting to me, which is when you were 13, you wouldn't have listened to that. Yeah. And, And that resonated because I wouldn't have either. And so I was thinking back to my own childhood, like, what do I remember about my parents or, you know, my, uh, the adults in my immediate sphere of influence? Do, did they have conversations with me? Did they ever teach me? And they may have, but what stuck out to me more, the first thing that came to my mind was my grandfather. Um, And it wasn't anything he said. It was just the basic way he carried himself. It was the basic way he ran his life. So there was no moment that stuck out to me where he sat me down and had this conversation about, you know, money principles, but he was in the military for, you know, almost 20 years. Then he went to work for the post office for another 30 years. I've talked about my grandfather before, cause he was hugely influential for me, but he was just a conservative guy. And that came through in everything that he did. And so the moral for me, you know, while we've been sitting here talking about it is have these conversations with my kids and, you know, try to relay these things verbally. 
but I think probably one of the most powerful things I can do is just to try to do these things, right? Do what I say, because they're going to learn more from watching me than they are from, you know, the words that I'm saying. And so that's kind of a, a little motivation for me to make sure I'm practicing what I preach. Now, Michael, has there been any uh, value-related things that have come up in your discussions with Will? I mean, he's a little bit older, obviously, so. Yeah, we, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the, okay, why, why do you have these conversations? And um, when, when Adam was talking, I was thinking my car is a, a pretty good example, I think, of um, an area that I think a lot of people would look at the car I drive and say, wait a minute you must not be very successful at what you do because you're driving a Hyundai Sonata and it doesn't look great. What's wrong with you? And it's, I mean, there's a lot of it. There's like, well, it's paid for, it runs, nobody's driving now. So I'm sure not going to buy a new car. Um, it's, I, I don't have a lot of my self worth associated with, you know, what I drive, but there have been times when I've gone and I've thought, man, I want a new car. I'm going to go buy a new car. And when I when I stop and I say, hey, I'm not going to give in to that impulse. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I sit down and I think about why that impulse arose, I think we all spend money and we're talking a lot about spending, um, but we all we all treat money. And I, I think if you drew a spectrum and if you said at the at the far extent, uh, at the far end of one end of the spectrum would be hoarders, people who hoard. And then if you come in from there, there'd be people who save. And then there are people who spend. And then at the far other extreme of a hoarder is somebody who's massively in debt, um, who just spends more than they have. And so we're all on that spectrum for some reason, you know, at some, at some point on that spectrum. I think the other thing is that we, we exist on that spectrum and we do things with our money to kind of scratch an itch. And so one of the things that I realize about myself is that most of the money that I spend, it's not so that people will look at me a certain way. I don't really care how people view me, um, but it's because I want to get what I want to get because it's going to make me happier. It's going to make me more comfortable. It's going to make me, you know, not have to engage with people in, in, in a lot of cases, honestly. Um, and, and the way that plays out is like I will spend um, money on things that kind of allow me to be more isolated from people, which, you know, this is pre-quarantine, too, because now people just say, oh, that's smart. Um, hmm. My my. My guess is when I look around, there's a lot of people who spend money on things that drive a certain image. They're like, well, I'm going to drive a certain car because it makes me look a certain way. Or maybe people spend money because it gives them a sense of security. Or maybe you hoard money because it gives you a sense of security. And so what I've tried to unpack with Will is, um, and with Bella, my daughter, why do you want to do these things? So. So my daughter is right now in the process of um, remodeling her bedroom, and she's earned a lot of money. Um, she she actually earns a lot of money through uh, babysitting and teaching dance, and she's 15. And, and so as she's doing that, and we're talking about it, it's it's Bella likes to lay in her room and read and be surrounded by things that make her feel cozy and comfortable. And her room was already cozy and comfortable, um, but she wanted an update. So 
when you talk about that, now, why would you choose to spend your money? It's not that there's a right or a wrong answer. Like, it's not you can't do it. You save the money. If you want to do it, go ahead. The thing that I've always encouraged with both of the kids is something that my wife and I do, which is we have a limit. And uh, the limit's actually pretty low for us. It's less than 20 or more than $20, less than 100 uh, the, the, the story is you should probably talk to the other person about what you're, you're spending money on. So, you know, if you go over a hundred dollars, I should say over a hundred dollars, not less, but if you go over a hundred dollars and you're, you're spending money, you should talk to people, to, to, to your partner about it because you're starting to spend money now that over time can add up. So I said the same thing to the kids. I'm like, Hey, I'm not saying you shouldn't spend the $20. But before you do, think about the impact. Ask yourself what would happen if you waited 24 hours. Is this thing on sale? Is it, you know, not going to be around tomorrow? Um, because a lot of times that itch that you're trying to scratch, that, you know, gratification that you're trying to get, that'll go away. Sometimes when it's, you know, a snack or a meal um, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, if I wait 24 hours, you know, I won't be hungry anymore. Um, sure, it's a different topic, but just generally, I think it's good to communicate with our kids or, you know, even our, our spouses, Hey, this is why I wanted to spend that money. This was what I was trying to accomplish. Um, hopefully that person's there to balance you out and, and help you sort through, um, you know, what it was that you were trying to accomplish. And I think with my kids, I frequently find myself wanting to spend money, um, to scratch their itches in ways that sometimes aren't helpful. You know, I'm trying to give them things um, like shoes or clothes that say something about them that, you know, it isn't necessarily important for them to be viewed in a certain way. Um, so I think it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard conversation to have, but it's really important. Right. So, Adam, when you... Uh we talk about setting things up for your child for the future, so, so, such as like an investment account, maybe maybe even an IRA. I actually saw an article today where people are setting up IRAs for their kids at like 14 and 15, I guess. Um, is that in your mind when you're thinking about your kids getting older, setting up things like that for them? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, and that's part of the financial literacy component of you know, just putting in the time, um, giving your kids the resources they need to learn about what these things are, um, because there is no substitute for time, right? I mean, starting now is always better than starting later, especially when it comes to investing. Um, so those things are absolutely things that my wife and I have done. And as they get older, we'll be, you know, hopefully educating them on what our expectations are um, for those funds and for their, you know, stewardship of those funds. But I think that gets back to kind of what Michael was touching on. And let me just say this real quick. Michael's really underselling his Hyundai Sonata. When the sun hits that <laughs> hail damage just right, <laughs> oh, I mean, it will. it is an eye grabber. So he's really trying to humble play it, but it's, it's something that you just have to see to believe. Um, we'll put that in the show notes to a picture. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, no, but when it comes to a value system, I think that's so important because, and again, 
go to the show notes. We're going to link this, this study here. But the National Bureau of Economic Research published a study. And basically what this study said, what it showed was when people receive an inheritance, the larger the inheritance, the less likely they were to increase the value of that inheritance by the amount of the inheritance. Okay, so, so let me just like boil that down. If you inherit $10,000, you're pretty likely to grow that by at least $10,000. Okay, so you'll you'll match the amount of the inheritance if it's a relatively small number. If you receive five hundred thousand dollars, your odds really go down that you're going to increase that by five hundred thousand dollars. Chances are you'll only increase it by something less than five hundred thousand dollars. So what can we take from this? I'm sorry, Adam. One one of the things I thought was interesting is the study actually went further and said. If you got $500,000, you would be likely to spend it and end up with less than $500,000. Where, where is it? You're probably right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, you would, you're much better on the, on the specifics than me, right? And, and that's very interesting. So what can we glean from that? And to me, at least in the context of this conversation, there's a lot to be said about having a value system surrounding money already in place. The other thing that they correlated is a drop in work participation. So hmm. when you inherit those those larger amounts of money, right. your participation in the workforce drops. Right. Okay, so what does that mean? It means there's a lot of people out there that when they get this big sum of money, A, they haven't thought through ahead of time, what am I going to do with this money? And B, they didn't have a value system in place that was the reason for them waking up every day. Right? right? So just because right. I inherited a million dollars, doesn't mean that I have to do anything the very next day. I'm not obligated to spend that money. I'm not obligated to quit my job. I can do those things, but I don't have to. Okay. And so it's really helpful to have these conversations beforehand. Even if your kids are adults, your kids can have all the financial literacy in the world, but it's still helpful to, you know, communicate to them your wishes for that money, your expectations for their behavior in regards to that money. Um, you know, you shouldn't be having this, this conversation for the first time through your attorney after you've died. So a value system is really the first step. Having something concrete that doesn't change based on the amount of money that you have coming in. Right. Because that's really going to affect how you handle that. And so I think that's a really important key to drive home um, as the first step before we get to things like financial literacy. Now, financial literacy is hugely important. And I think you know, there's a whole conversation to be had there about societally. I think there's a shortcoming in that realm and how we how we educate kids in our educational system and even up through college. I, for one, maybe you guys had different experiences. I really did not have any level of in-depth, um, you know, financial literacy instruction either. growing up. And, I, and I'm talking separate to, you know, being a finance major. That's that's more theoretical. I'm talking, hey, here's how you set up a budget. Here's how compound interest works. Here's what an IRA is. These types of things, which are hugely important, are really under addressed in our society, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, it, one of the things that's interesting is uh, there, there's an NEFE uh, study, uh, which, again, it'll be in the, the, sh the show notes. But three quarters of U.S. adults believe that, that, that kids should be getting this education at school in K through 12. 
And I don't disagree with that, but I think that a lot of times there's this temptation to believe that, you know, the school can do this and they can do that and they can do this other thing. And the one thing that I'd say is that as parents or grandparents, we are much better positioned to talk to those to our kids because we know specifically ways in which they need to be given guidance. So even with my two kids, um, one of them, my, my son, is most likely to want to work when he needs money. And, and I have to constantly remind him he needs to be consistently working so he can have money when it's needed. Not, not so, oh, well, now I need 20 bucks to go watch movies with my friends. Dad, can I rake leaves? Well, no, the leaves needed to be raked last week. I asked you, you wouldn't do it. Um, my daughter, on the other hand, she has a different set of issues that I would need to address with her. Uh, she, she doesn't, you know, she's, she's fine going out and working and, and making money and having it. And she's, she's, you know, doesn't struggle with that particular uh, disposition. And so it is funny that nobody uh, nobody in school, I mean, like Adam, I was a finance major and I got through school and first job interview when they were like, so what's your, what kind of salary are you looking for? And I was thinking, I don't know, enough to live, right? I, I don't know what that number is though. I have no idea. Do I need 30,000? Do I need 50,000? Should I ask for a hundred thousand? You know, what, right. how do you think you, what are you willing to pay me? Like, <laughs> give me a number. And so it is, it is really, I think, a, a place where as parents and as grandparents, we have an opportunity to make a huge impact uh, in a way that, again, we expect for schools to, to provide the financial literacy, um, but they're not going to. And so we have to. Michael, how, how upset would, your, would Will be if you gave him like a five-year treasury bond for Christmas? <laughs> Man. It, it depends on the year. There have been years where he has said, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. You know, I'm just. What? Well, I mean, there's also been years where he said that. And, and like, you know, two days before Christmas, out comes a list and there's like a thousand dollars worth of stuff on it. And you're like, well, great. I already bought you a bike. <laughs> the bike's not on the list, obviously. But he. He does not have, he's not right now in a place, I don't think, where he would say, oh, cool, that's going to be worth um, more money in the future. Uh, he probably, in fact, right now would talk to you about the yield curve and how <laughs> there's no point in saving it for five years. He's going to trade that in and invest in stocks. He might short stocks. I'm not sure what his disposition is today. Um, but. But when you talk about financial literacy, it's funny because if I said government bond, he would be like, well, interest rates are really low right now. We've cut them because of the pandemic and better. Like he's paid a lot of attention to that. Wow. Stuff. Um, That's excellent. It's now whether he would make the same decisions I would make. I don't know. But if the question is, would he be excited about deferred <laughs> gratification? No. The answer is no, hey, absolutely hey, not. It would be like, give me the money now. I'll take care of it. Uh, thanks. Um, that's a lesson we all learn, huh? Yeah. So I, I think, and I kind of am curious to hear, and Jared, I mean, I want you to weigh in too. I know you don't 
currently have kids, but I, yeah. I, I've been thinking, you know, while, while I was listening to Michael talk, as my kids get older and approach the age that Michael's kids are now, like what are, cause life is so busy. It's really, you know, these things can fall through the cracks. So it helps me. I have to boil things down to like essentials. What are, let's say like two things when it comes to this topic of discussing money and investment and these types of things with your kids, what are two bullet points that you would focus on? Like if you could only teach your kids two things, me. What do you think those things would be? Sure. If it was me, I would say generosity and debt. I would say like. No way. That's funny that you say that. That's really why? funny that you say that. Is that, what, is that what yours would be? Well, I was definitely thinking so. There, there was one value component, one, like I would say, financial literacy component. The literacy component was, and I'm dovetailing these, but compound interest and debt. Yeah. Because they're obviously very related. But just the power of compound interest and how that matters to saving and how important it is to not get yourself into debt, if at all possible. But then also on the value side, it was other people matter more than you do. And money is a tool, not the goal, right? Money is just a tool to be used like any other tool, but it matters how you deploy that tool. So, you know, I feel like if I can succeed, which heaven knows I'm not close to succeeding yet, got a long ways to go. But if I can succeed in teaching them that, that's a skill, that's a virtue that they can take to money, to you know, family, to friends, to work, to whatever they're doing, and hopefully find success with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's well it's it's close. I mean, I would say the same thing. The the debt, compound interest, yep. The 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 fact that getting into debt uh, is dangerous. It's so easy to do. Um, don't do it. And um yeah, scarily easy to do. Scarily yeah. easy. Scarily easy. I remember in in 2008. I remember um, I still had a job. It wasn't you know, 2008 was terrible, but I was still employed, and um, we bought our first home. And I remember we went, we applied for a mortgage, you know, down payment, and everything. We we had all our finances in a row, and the mortgage company was like, you know you could qualify for, I forget if the mortgage amount was two or three times what we were applying for. And what was so strange to me at the time was we felt comfortable and possibly even stretched by what we were going to be having as a monthly payment. And somebody at a bank was like trying to convince us that we could have a house that was two or three times you know, nicer or bigger or whatever than the house that we were buying. And in that moment, it, it would have been easy to just be like, really? Well, you guys know what you're talking about. And my wife is just very conservative, amazingly disciplined. And so there wasn't a chance in the world those people didn't know what they were up against. But if it had been me, I'd have been like, oh, really? All right, cool. What, where do I want to live instead of where can I afford to live? It's like, well, these guys said I could. And so, you know, I don't think I would have actually fallen for it, but I don't know. It's it's like, you know, you listen to people and you think, well, these people have my best interests at heart. And and maybe that's another thing I would I would always want to teach my kids is that there's a value in having, you know, community around you. It doesn't have to be a financial advisor. It has to be people who have your best interests at heart. Yeah. Um, but somebody who is going to stop you and say, wait, 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 why, why would you do that? What would be the, someone that'll be unabashedly honest with you? Yeah. yeah. 
And it's funny because, you know, the people in my life that, that do that, you know, whether it's you guys at work, whether it's people who, who are friends who are just, you know, kind of know me, you know, personally and would say, well, wait a minute, Michael, why would you do that? Why would you make that decision instead of this decision? Um, and the people who I do that for them as well. Um, I think I think you make a lot better decisions when they're transparent to a community of people or an advisor or somebody who you trust who says, hey, if I was you, I would think about it this way instead. And that person doesn't have the same emotional ties that you have to the new car or to the new house or, you know, to remodeling your bedroom. Um, so that person is going to give you better guidance than the guidance you're going to get by just sitting and listening to your own brain. And lastly, uh, Michael, let me ask you this one. Sorry, Adam, this is just relevant to Will, but um, how, 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 you, you? <laughs> how have you made these financial conversations more palatable for someone his age? You know, how do you, how do you make it fun, quote unquote, you know, for him to want to engage? Yeah, I think, I think it's specific probably to the kid. Um, he is, he is interested in, you know, just sitting here, he's interested in what does dad do? And uh, he looks around and he's like, so dad pays for everything that's here. How does he do that? What, what, what is dad doing? Um, but then the other thing is, so, so there's a part of it where it's just, he's intrinsically curious and would say, I, I wouldn't mind being like dad when I grow up, I think. I'm not sure what he does, but that's kind of interesting to me. Um, he loves math. He loves, you know, answering those questions. I think the other thing, though, is talking to him about stuff that interests him. Um, so, for instance, he wants to know um, how these different video games that he plays. He's curious, Dad, how do they give me these things for free? And, you know, talking to him about the fact that there's no such thing as free, that free means you're paying in another way. Somebody is going to somehow profit off of what you view as free. Um, so never believe that something is free. And uh, we were talking about that one day and he he said to me, you know, he's playing this video game. He was like, it's free. And I said, well, didn't you tell like I get. I get charges on my Microsoft account that that you have to pay for where you've bought clothes for pretend characters in these video games, you know, and, and weapons and stuff. And, and so it's not free. You're paying ten dollars probably every three months to, you know, have an upgraded weapon system or uh, ability to fly or, you know, do whatever. and. Uh, we had had that conversation, and then really soon thereafter, Fidelity came out with totally free funds. And it was funny because when they advertised, like, hey, these funds were totally free, you roll your eyes, you look, and you're like, and eh, they're not totally free. They can't be. And you look and you dig, and believe it or not, the funds are totally free. Um, the the catch, if there is one, is that once you invest those in those funds with Fidelity, um, the advisor who, who may be helping you set up these accounts is going to point out that 
your your account now isn't really well balanced. You might have a global equity portfolio, but you don't have a fixed income portfolio. And a couple of people who I spoke to said, well, that their experience was, well, yeah, Fidelity gave me this for free, but then there was something attached to it. And in the same way that, you know, you go into Cheesecake Factory and on your birthday, dessert is free. Sure, but most people are going to have dinner there as well. Now, you don't have to. You could just get dinner. Uh, I'm sorry, get your free dessert and walk out and go by yourself. Or, but most of us take our family, we get dinner, uh, we order two desserts, and then we get one free one. And you're like, wow, that free dessert cost me $72. Yeah. And uh, he, the thing that, that has been most effective with him has just been to make it relatable. Like he looks at things and he's like, oh, in the same way that this game isn't really free, it's free, but it's not fun unless you pay for the upgrades. Um, it's not I'm not able to compete unless I pay for the upgrades in the same way. Well, this financial services company is offering people things that are free and they are. But you're not going to be you're not going to have a whole you know, financial plan if you just take what's free. You're going to have to take something else along with it. And so uh, it's been it's been insightful to me just to to see how the lessons that he's learning about what does the word free mean and what does it actually mean versus what do people tell you it means um, that that is something that he'll he'll carry with him through life. Uh, that I can talk to clients today about the exact same thing and uh, it's relevant. Adam, anything you want to add on to that? Anything intelligent? I don't think so. I. <laughs> Well, that's a tall order for me. Um, you know, I, I don't think I have anything to add to that. I would also just, I guess, point out that, you know, again, it's it's a lot of it is just how Michael and his wife carry themselves. You know, I'm sure I'm sure that um, his kids are going to learn a lot from what he's telling them. But also, there's a lot that they're absorbing that Michael's probably not even intentionally trying to relay. It's just in how he carries himself that's going to make a huge impact as well. Are you saying that they're always going to drive crappy cars? <laughs> I mean, I they'll probably be driving your Sonata, if we're being honest. <laughs> they're probably just going to get your car. They absolutely are going to get my car. <laughs> then you can upgrade to the new Sonata. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's used and has hail damage. There you go. All right, guys. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Thanks, Jared. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.